6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Titus. Paul continues in Titus 1.8, But a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. A lover of good men. What, and, and speaking of good here in the sense of books, music, causes, so forth. People that are, are, are in that, that, that's what he loves. A just, upright, man of integrity. What do you mean by that? He sticks by his word and practices what he preaches. And I love my wife's de- definition for truth. That's when the word and the deed are one. And uh, he's to be holy, unstained. 1 Peter 1.16, be ye holy for I am holy is the instruction. And the, the whole idea of holy, really, the root meaning of the word holy is different, set aside, separate, different, different from the lost because we are now new creations by the grace of God. And tempered, again, hits the self-controlled, disciplined aspect of it. And uh, so temperance and self-control are, for our purposes, practically synonyms. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Holding fast the faithful word. Why is God so faithful? Because it's, he cannot lie. So Paul now, in, in addition to the idea of building up the healthy doctrine, he now turns to the need to refute the false teachers, teachers who spread unhealthy doctrine. That's the, that's the next part of this. Silencing the false teachers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Interesting. Paul's indicting specifically those that are his brothers, Jews. Titus is faced with the same kinds of false teachers that Timothy faced, and Paul deals with in the first letter to Timothy. They typically are a mixture of legalism and man-made traditions, and mysticism, especially today. It's interesting how the Christian church seems to waffle between legalism on the one hand and mysticism on the other. As we go back to icons and we go back to some of the practices of the medieval period, which was a time that the Word of God was unavailable to the people. We live in a day when the Word of God is more available than it's ever been in the history of man. And it's strange that so many churches are, are drifting deliberately away from just their, their root anchor, the Word of God itself. Unruly, rebellious, self-appointed, without authority, vain talkers. They're impressive, but vapid, hot air, vapid, empty. Uh, hot air, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things they ought not for filthy lucre's sake, for money. You know, the great tragedy of this is that is this deceives people. How many people today are deceived in their perspective of Christianity by what they see on television and what they see in the behavior of the what I'll call the, 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 the average common carnal Christian? Interesting, uh, they subvert whole houses. See, house meetings, home meetings, 
were the norm in those days. We forget that. Watch out for strange doctrines from strangers, for money motives. It's astonishing to realize how many of these TV evangelists are wearing Rolex watches, $12,000 wristwatches. What for? What for? What point are they making? One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. <laughs> Paul's quoting one of the own, his own uh, poets, Epimenes, born in Crete several centuries earlier. There was a Greek word, kretizen, which means to speak like a Cretan, which was synonymous with being a liar. To be a Cretan was a way of calling a person a liar. It was linked up that way. And... Uh, we have sort of a similar thing when we think of fornication in California. Often when I teach First and Second Corinthians, I call it First and Second Californians. Yeah. Well, in Crete, that lying was, was an identity they unfortunately apparently had earned. Another poet wrote, quote, Crete with a hundred cities doth maintain and cannot deny this, though to lying given. These are just idioms of the literature that highlight at least the, uh, the reputation of those that lived in Crete. And notice the adjectives here. It says they're not just beasts, they're evil beasts. They're not just gluttons, they're lazy gluttons. The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Pretty, pretty tough turf. Then uh, Paul continues, this witness is true. Wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. The Jude says a similar thing in his epistle, contend for the faith. Priscilla and Aquila, you may, you may remember, corrected Apollos in Acts 18 because they hadn't been taught completely. So we should always pursue sound teaching. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. See, the teaching of legalism has two phases, that you are saved by the law and that you are to live by the law. Both are false. Both are false. And we find that all through our communities. Legalism. It's missing the point. Laws are for a nation. Christians are saved and are to live by, not the law, but by grace. We should be lived, walking by the Spirit, not the laws. Uh, unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. And even their mind and conscience is defiled. So we're looking for more than money motives. Minds and consciences. It's not just the money issue. Minds and consciences are defiled. And this is one of the most misapplied verses in the New Testament, to defend ungodly practices. Paul was refuting false teaching of legalists with reference to the dietary laws, not to apply this. This is a widely misapplied verse, that to the pure, all things are pure. By the way, refusing forbidden food does not make you holier. Think about that. And of course, obviously, pornography cannot be justified. It's in the eye of the beholder. Well, Yes, it sure is. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. That's a disturbing word. The same word Paul uses in the last verse of 1 Corinthians 9. They profess they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. The word abominable, of course, means detestable, disgusting. Disobedient means they cannot and will not be persuaded. It's a disbelief issue. The word reprobate, though, is not able to pass the test, is what it means. 
And that's the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 9.27, cast away. Paul was terrified after being, even though he may preach to others, that he himself might be a castaway. He's not talking about his salvation. He's talking about his inheritance before the king. What was Titus to do? Not stand by quietly. How easy that is for us just to avoid confrontation. What was he to do? He was to exhort and to convince by means of sound doctrine. He was to stop their mouths, rebuke them sharply. And Paul would give the same advice to Timothy in his final letter. Rebuke, uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. That's in his last letter in 2 Timothy 4. What do we mean by sound doctrine? Doctrine is the difference between life and death eternally. Doctrine is not a peripheral issue. It's a central issue. You can choose what you believe, but you cannot change the consequences of what you believe. And that sound doctrine issue now brings us to the chapter on sound doctrine, which is chapter 2 in Titus. Remember, first thing, all things set in order. Second, sound doctrine. And the final be one on works. But one, one last thing. This was a sign that's reported to be in front of a modern church. No old-fashioned constraints here. Home of the 7% tithe. Only seven commandments, your choice. 15-minute sermons. All you ever wanted and less. <laughs> So enough of that. Okay, let's get, let's get back to chapter 2 of Titus. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And we're reminded that those who were added to the church in Acts, chapter 2, quote, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And that clearly describes a house church, by the way. The elders whom Titus was to ordain were to be able to do two things, to exhort and to refute or confute the heretics. The word heretic, by the way, means someone who causes division. Interesting. That's what the, the, the word means. See, we have a cross without blood in many churches. Most of self-centered humanity recoils from the concept of Christ dying for their sins. It's just interesting how that is the universal first target of the, of the, of the antagonists. The cross is viewed more as an ornament than a reminder of the high price God paid to reconcile man to himself. How painfully that's true. The doctrine of the cross is crucial. That's what the word crucial means. It, it derives from the Latin word crux, which means the cross. How interesting, how fundamental, how central that is. And of course, downfall of churches and groups and what have you and individuals begins with compromises. And the most dangerous compromises are the little ones. Because they seem the most innocuous. Salvation without the Lord. Church members without conversion. Worship without the Spirit. People without purity. All of this has led, of course, to the corruption of the educational system. In accordance with an organization setting out to do just that, the National Education Association, NEA. The propagation of pseudoscience in lieu of Judeo-Christian values. The promotion of alternative lifestyles, which are clearly prohibited in the Bible. We could talk a lot about that, but I'll spare you that now. You realize the church has actually helped perpetuate the decline rather than to slow it? The prophetic books of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so forth, described the nation Israel shortly before God poured out his wrath on the people. That was their primary mission. 
the very sins that brought God's judgment upon Israel are rampant, in fact, characteristic, if you will, of America today. And that's just a reality. Just a reality. Preachers without power, ministry without urgency, society without a conscience. That's how we get Columbine High School, Waco, Texas, even the Randy Victor Weaver thing, deliberately killed by professional snipers, having Vicky Weaver never committed a crime, never been brought to justice. The American apathy to treason itself, the murder of prominent people in the administration, secretaries of commerce, what have you, never brought to, to justice. We had an impeachment proceeding for the wrong reasons. We have presidents who openly failed to execute their oaths of office. We used to call that treason. Anyway, moving on to second verse of chapter 2. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and patience. Sober, what does that mean? Vigilant. Serious. Take it seriously. Grave. Sounds like a uh, tough word, but it just means respected and dignified in this context. Temperate, prudent, self-controlled. In other words, the opposite of frivolous, carelessness based on ignorance. And uh, same term is translated sober in a number of places, discreet elsewhere. It's the same word. The aged women likewise, now we're talking, to the, we're talking about those of the older men, the older women. Likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. In other words, not false accusers, not slanderers, not gossips. Now, I'm going to spare you my usual tirade on the most painful sin, gossip. We've done that, done that many times. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. What's the greatest priority in the home? Love, number one. To be discreet, chaste keepers at home, good, uh, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Wow. Discreet, sober-minded. Again, that same word, temperate. Keepers at home, a wife's first responsibility. This is her ministry, the home. They are to be obedient to their own husbands. Painful reality. Scripture teaches that. To be subject to their husbands, Romans 8, 7. Ephesians, verses 18 and 33. It would be interesting to know how many wives really examine that and understand what it's saying. The feminist movement is actually blasphemy against the priorities in the Word of God. That's one of the tragedies for the women. That's ushered in a, a world that they're not really happy with. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing themselves a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Likewise exhort to be the, uh, showing themselves a pattern of good works. The word pattern is tupos, from which we get the word type, a pattern, an exemplar. And uh, Paul wrote more about Titus the example than Titus the exhorter. We're to be examples. In doctrine showing uncorruptness, complete conformity to the Word of God. That's our, that's our charge. That's our call. Continuing, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Again, it's an example thing. A church will never rise higher than its leadership. 
Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. It's interesting that 90% of the names on the walls of the catacombs in Rome are those of slaves or ex-slaves. The Christians that mark their names in the catacombs, 90% of those names were servants, slaves. But uh, obedient to their own masters and, please, and, and to please them well in all things, not answering in. You know, it's going that extra mile from the heart. That's what Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 7 emphasizes. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. You know, we don't tend to relate to this because we aren't in a slave economy. But yes, we, yet we really are. It's, refer, it's referring to bosses. We're in an economic slavery, worse than they were, by the way. I'll come back to that. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Whoa, wait a minute. That means an employee that's a Christian owes his master, his boss, singleness of heart as unto Christ. You know, the common thought in, in our world today is you owe your boss 60 minutes for every hour paid. No more. Not if you're a Christian. In a Christian, you are your boss's fiduciary. That's not required of employees. It is required of managers and directors, but not of normal employees, unless she's a Christian. In singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Not with eye service, as men pleases, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord, and not to men. How many of us are really faithful to that? It's pleasant to discover here and there some that are. But most of us are not. Obedience to masters according to the flesh. Physical and mental, not spiritual of the conscience. What does Paul mean here? Your boss is what he means. In singleness of heart, 60 minutes for each hour paid. And as a fiduciary, as unto Christ. To a Christian, there's no distinction here between secular and sacred. A few notes on slavery. You know, almost half of over the 100 million people of the Roman Empire were slaves. That's what was so, such genius by Constantine when he... He brought them out of the catacombs. The New Testament does not condemn slavery as such. Every true believer is a bond slave, a doulos of Christ. The word Coeur where we live, is the heart of the all, that is, heart of the bond slave, interestingly enough. The New Testament has more to say to slaves than it does kings. Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth made an interesting, she said she was saved by an M. And she was referring to 1 Corinthians one twenty six. Not many wise, not many noble are called. Didn't say not any, he said not many. She said she was saved by an M. See, Paul was careful not to confuse the social system with the spiritual order within the church. Two different things. You know, in the feudal system, the peasants of the Middle Ages owed their landowners 25% of the fruits of their labors. They were slaves. Today, we work until July before we earn for ourselves. We pay over 60% of our income to our federal, state, municipal, and other taxes. So it's an interesting contrast. You say, we're not slaves. Yes, we are. We're economic slaves, indeed. Let's talk a little bit about conduct. This, this whole uh, part of Titus is on conduct. Let's use the, what do we mean by faithful? What do we mean by faithful? These are, from, these are from the courts. Firmly adhering to duty of true fidelity, loyal, true to allegiance, constant in the performance of duties or services, true to one's word, honest and loyal. Seems straightforward. That's what it means. 
1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That's his primary commitment, is to be faithful, to be loyal, to be honest. What is a fiduciary? I've used that word before. That's what the word koinias means. It's the, relate, it's the relation existing when one person justifiably reposes confidence, faith, reliance in another whose aid, advice, and protection is sought in some matter. The relation existing when good conscience requires one to act at all times for the sole benefit and interests of the another with the loyalty to those interests. The relation by law existing between certain classes of persons as confidential advisors and the one advised, ex executors, administrators, legatees, heirs, Corporate directors, officers. This is doctor-patient, uh, client, you know, uh, 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 attorney-client, that sort of thing. Fiduciary. What do we mean by fraud? We use that term a lot. That's the intentional deception to cause a person to yield property or some lawful right. What is embezzlement? How does it differ from that? That's the actual theft or act of fraudulently, fraudulently appropriating money or goods entrusted to one's care and management. Embezzlement is a breach of stewardship, isn't it? Larceny. We use that term. What does it really mean? Theft. The act of taking or carrying away goods or personal property or another without his consent and with the intention of depriving him of it. Interesting. Then there's a group here that are often not, uh, not used except by specialists. Misfeasance. Wrongdoing. A deed, a trespass, specifically the doing of a lawful act in an unlawful manner so that there is an infringement on the rights of another or others. That's misfeasance. Malfeasance is a little worse. That's evil doing. Misconduct, the commission of some act which is positively unlawful. Wrongful conduct that affects, interrupts, or interferes with the performance of official duties. Nonfeasance. You've got misfeasance, malfeasance, and nonfeasance, the big three. Nonfeasance is the failure to perform a duty and omission of an act which a person ought to do. So you've got sins of commission, both deliberate and, and, and careless, and then you've, of course, got nonfeasance where you fail to do something. And, of course, conspiracy is pretty... Frequent in our language, a planning or acting together secretly, especially for an unlawful or harmful purpose. What are the requirements of a fiduciary? It's interesting to hear this because this is it's I, it, my biggest adjustment, having gone from the boardroom world for 30 years into professional Christianity, is the breach of fiduciary duty that's rampant. Uh, in in 30 years, in 12 being on the 12 public boards, in 30 years, only once did we have to remove someone for breach of fiduciary duty. In the first 10 years of being in the professional ministry, we had to do it three times. What do we mean by, what is a fiduciary? Many forms of conduct permissible in a workaday world for those acting at arm's length are forbidden to those bound by fiduciary ties. A trustee is held to something stricter than the morals of the marketplace. Not honesty alone, but the punctilio of honor, the most sensitive, is then the standard of behavior. As to this, there was, has developed a tradition that is unbending and inveterate. Uncompromising rigidity has been the attitude of the courts of equity when petitioned to, un to undermine the rule of undivided loyalty by disintegrating the erosion of particular exceptions. Only thus has the level of conduct for fiduciaries been kept at a level higher than that trodden by the crowd. It's amazing to me how many men on the Christian world, many people are on boards of directors of ministries, they just are untrained. They don't realize they're fiduciaries. Many people that are managers of an enterprise don't realize they are no longer just employees, they are fiduciaries of that enterprise. And they owe them a higher sense of loyalty. That's what this is all about. This is from uh, uh, the, the Chief Justice of Supreme Court. A director of a corporation is in the position of fiduciary will not be permitted to improperly profit at the expense of his corporation. Undivided loyalty will ever be insisted upon 
Personal gain will ever be in, uh, personal gain will be denied to a director when it comes uh, because it he has taken a position adverse to or in conflict with the best interests of the corporation. Fiduciary relationship imposes a duty to act in accordance with the highest standards which a man of finest sense of honor might impose upon himself. Board meetings. We've had. Uh, if you got Christians in your board meetings, you'll discover that the gossip mill will run right after the meeting. They do not preserve the 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 uh, confidentiality of those meetings, etc. While there is a lofty moral ideal implicit in this rule, it actually accomplishes a practical beneficial purpose. It recognizes the frailty of human nature. It realizes that where a man's immediate fortunes are concerned, he may sometimes be subject to a blindness, often intuitive and compulsive. This rule is designed, on the one hand, to prevent clouded conception of fidelity and a moral indifference that blurs the vision, and on the other hand, to stimulate the most luminous critical sense and the finest exercise of judgment uncontaminated by the dross of prejudice or divided allegiance or of self-interest. Again, voice of the courts. Well enough. So let's come back to Titus, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. In other words, not stealing. We'll take a look at that when we get to Philemon and talk about Anesimus and so on. Showing all good fidelity. And this implies the fiduciary role of our employees. And the word adorn, adorn the doctrine. What do you mean? That's cosmeo, to bring order out of chaos, put in order, arrange, make ready, pre prepare, to ornament. It's the same word from which we get cosmetics, by the way, cosmeo. <laughs> For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That's grace in three tenses. You know, it's interesting. If you understand salvation in three tenses, you'll understand justification, sanctification, glorification, past, present, future. Grace has three tenses. Hath appeared. Grace of God hath appeared to all men. That's past tense. He hath appeared. He's made his appearance. Teaching us. That's continuous. Present tense. And looking for the blessed hope. The future tense. That'll, the, the, the past tense is verse 11 of Titus 2. The present tense will be verse 12 of Titus 2. And the future tense will be verse 13 of Titus 2. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Titus. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.